Well, as you just heard, our passage for this morning is Ezekiel chapter 37. I encourage you to open up your Bibles to that passage. If you're using the the Pew Bibles in front of you, it's page 857. This is one of those passages, it's one of those stories um, that if you've ever um, worked in maybe nursery or or children's church or or taught your own um, children some some scripture stories, um, we maybe make this sound less gruesome and scary than it actually is. You know, it goes along with certain stories we read in scripture about, you know, if you think of Daniel and the lion's den, you hear, you go, go read how the, the lions are described. I don't think that's what we see in VeggieTales um, when we have that there for us. But this is one of those passages um, that could rival any horror movie you see on, on the TV. It's really a passage that's rather gruesome when you start to, to dive into what happens here. And, and so I want us to take some time this morning to really unpack what, what Ezekiel's prophesying will happen, and what God's telling him he's about to do with the people of Israel, because it's not a passage um, that, that is for the faint of heart this morning. And so with this, we need to start where the passage starts, and that's where God brings Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones. If you're following along in the bulletin, you've, you have the outline. It's really a place without hope. There is no hope. There is no future. There is nothing in this valley except dry bones. The, the bones have no hope for themselves. Imagine for a second that you're one of these bones. And that you have eyes and, and you look around and literally for as far as you can see, all you see are bones. In fact, we probably could guess from the amount of bones that are in this valley that this is not the bones of one person. We know from later on it says that a vast army, so it seems to be these are bones from multiple people, maybe an entire people, right? And so imagine being in this valley and looking every which direction, and all you see are bones. Think about the carnage and the death that would have happened for that many bones to be in one place. Think about the, the tragedy that would have been. Think about the just the the death on a scale that's hard to comprehend, right? Many of us were alive when 9-11 happened. What's described here is a scene of death even more gruesome than that. An entire people who have died and are laying on this valley. They cannot hope. In fact, look at how the bones are described. In case we were wondering whether these are recently deceased, maybe they, they have some hope in them, Right? He goes to tell us that these are dry bones. These are bones who have been left there to decay for a long period of time. These are not bodies that have just recently passed away. No, they've decayed, the flesh has been eaten off the bone, and the bones are beginning to turn to dust. That does not happen overnight. There is no hope for these bones. Last night, Rachel and I were watching... Um, Princess Bride, and it made me think of this scene. And, and if you watch the Princess Bride, there's a scene where they bring the hero to a miracle worker, and, the hero, and that miracle worker says the hero is mostly dead. He's not completely dead, he's mostly dead. And so th- they bring the hero back to life. These bones are not mostly dead. They are completely, 100%, without any like doubt, dead. There is no hope in these bones that they are coming back to life. There's no power you or I have. There's no power among these bones that's going to bring them back to life. They are completely, 100% dead. 
And so there's a place without hope. And from this place without hope, God speaks through Ezekiel a promise of life. He speaks a promise of life. Right? God comes to him, he says, he says Ezekiel, tell these bones, prophesy to these bones that I'm going to make them a new creation. I'm going to bring them back to life. Right? In fact, he asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, um, maybe a little smart alecally, maybe a little bit um, confused, says, well, you alone, Lord, know. You're the only one that can do this, so you alone know if these, Lord, if these bones can come back to life. And God says, I will make it so. Declare to them they will come back to life. And so what does Ezekiel do? He, he declares, it says, you bones will live. There is a promise of life. And what happens when Ezekiel declares this promise? Do the bones stay dead? Do they stay dry bones? No. Ezekiel says that as he's prophesying this, the bones begin to come together. Now, I want you to think how disturbing of an image this actually is. Imagine an entire valley full of bones. He says there was a rattling sound that began to happen, right? These bones begin to make a sound. Now, Ezekiel is a lot tougher than me, a lot braver than me, because I think I would have ran at that moment. I think that I've seen enough horror movies. I think that's when I was getting out of there, and I was gone. But he stays, right? And he sees, right? And it's not just like, okay, all of a sudden there's bones, and the next moment there's life. No, it says that, that tendon by tendon, right, muscle by muscle, the bodies are stitched together. Again, that is not a pleasant sight. If you want to kind of examine or, or imagine what that would look like, Today, after you've had your lunch, not beforehand, after you've had your lunch, go YouTube videos of decomposing bodies and then play it in reverse. You know why I said after lunch. But that's what's happening here, right? Like, it's decomposition, but in reverse, right? Instead of everything that happened to them, right, leading to the dry bones, God is reworking them back together. He's bringing them back into life. And so Ezekiel prophesies this, and life happens to them, and they're brought back together. But there's a problem. You see, their skeletons have been brought back together. There's now flesh and skin on these bones, but it seems to be that they're just standing there. That really, for all intents and purposes, they're no better than the skeletons that were on the ground a second ago. They're not moving. There's really no life to them. And so God goes a step farther. He doesn't just promise life. He promises to breathe into them. And that's what he says in verse 9. He says, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say, right, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And what does Ezekiel do? He does that. He prophesies. And as he's doing it, right, breath comes into these skeletons, into these bags of flesh. And all of a sudden they go from statues to a great army, to an army full of life. And so not only has God healed them, but then he's empowered them. And so God takes these dry bones, these, these bones without hope, and he turns them into bones that are living and active, that have complete life. And ultimately what he's doing here is he's promising to fulfill a desire that these bones had. These bones may not have realized they had this desire. In fact, we know because they were bones, they couldn't articulate they had this desire. 
But we know, based off what God says in verse really 11 through 14, what the desire of these bones were. See, God tells us, God lets us know who he is talking about. He is talking about the nation of Israel. And he's saying to the nation of Israel that though you are a dry bone, I will make you alive. And so he takes all their desires, he takes all their hopes, and he makes them into something new. He says, I will make you a vast army. Now, there's a little bit of history that I may need to give you to understand what God is saying here. You see, when Ezekiel writes this, he's writing to the Israelites who have been captured from their home, removed from the promised land of God, brought to foreign captivity, and now who desire with all of their hearts to be put back in the land that God has given them. And what God's saying to them here is that when he says, I will make you a vast army, they immediately think of pictures of them forming up into army, marching back into the promised land, just like Joshua and the Israelites at that time did, and conquering back what God has told them belongs to them. And they have desired to be a country again. And so when they hear what God is saying here, they're seeing, God, you're going to restore us as you promised. You're going to bring us back. And that's how they, they read this. But I think they miss something really subtle here of what God's doing. You see, God says to them in verse 11, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They're not part of the house. They're not some of it. It's the whole house. Now, why does God tell us that's the whole house? Well, I think he's alluding to something that Paul will make clear in the New Testament. And that is that all people who belong to Christ are part of this house of Israel. And what God's doing in this passage is not limited to the Israelites that were in Babylonian captivity. You see, I think God is wanting to do something much more amazing here, and that is to bring you from death to life. Now, that's a bold claim, and I I need us to take some time and dive into this, because I think if we look at it, we find ourselves in the same situation as the Israelites here. I want you to stop for a second and think about what you see when you look around the world. If you were one of these bones in this valley and you looked around, all you would see is dry bones around you. Does that not describe the world when you look around it? There's a lot of death. There's a lot of desolation. There's not a lot of hope. Right? There, there's no life. There's no joy. There's no goodness. All it seems is sadness and hardship and death and persecution and trials and tribulations. That sure seems to be everything that you see around us, doesn't it? And so if you were one of those bones in the valley and you looked around you, it seems like what you would see when you looked out around you. Now imagine you're one of those bones in that valley and you've looked all around you and then suddenly you look down. And what do you see? You see that you are in the same predicament, you have the same disease, you're in the same situation as all the rest of those bones in the valley. Look at yourself now. Examine yourself now. It's easy to look around at the world and say, well, they're horrible people, or they're bad people, or they're, you know, it's just the evil people doing this or that, or that thing that I don't like, and it's them that are so bad. They're the problem with the world. But if we're all honest with ourselves and we look in, sigh, and and look at our own hearts, we see hearts that are not beating, but hearts that are dead. 
we see hearts that are just as dry as the bones in that valley. Listen, the problems in the world would not cease to exist if everybody but you were dead. Because you are the problem. Your sin is the problem. You are just as dead as these bones in this valley. There is no hope for you, right? No, pow- no amount of work could bring these bones back to life. No matter how hard these bones tried, they were going to keep being dry bones. There's no amount of good works, there's no amount of tryharding that, that will bring you to a place of life. You are stuck as a dry bone. You are without hope. But this passage doesn't end with dry bones, does it? It ends with a vast army of living beings empowered by God. And so I have hope for you. I have hope for you that God will make you and bring you from death to life. That he will heal you, that he will empower you, and he will take everything that you desire, and he will make it into something way more amazing than you could ever hope or dream for. That he will breathe his breath into you, that he will take you from a creature of death into a creature of life. That when you look inside, instead of seeing a valley of dry bones, you will see a new creation in Christ. Now you might be saying that's a pretty bold claim to make. How do you know that's true? You may be saying, that sounds great. I would love not to be dead. In fact, I would love to have life. How do you know that that's actually possible? How do you know that God can do what God is saying he will do here? Because he has already done it. In fact, we are celebrating today when he brought death to life. And so we go from a place without hope to the promise of life with our fulfillment in Christ. Christ is the proof that this passage is true. Christ is the testament that God will do what he says he will do. See, when we look at Christ, we see both the power for new life and the promise of new life fulfilled. You see, Christ lived. He lived a perfect life. He lived a life without sin. If anybody deserved not to be in that valley of dry bones, it was Christ. He was life. He was light. He was everything that we are not. And so he didn't have to go down into that valley. He didn't have to descend to the point of death, but he chose to do that for us. And so Christ goes to that cross on Good Friday, 2,000 years ago, for us, and he dies. And he lays in a tomb dead. Again, he's not mostly dead. He's not partially dead. He is 100% completely dead. His body was there. And as he lays in that tomb, it sure seems like the promise that God made here in Ezekiel 37 is not really true. Where is the power of God as he lays in that tomb? Where is the hope for new life as he lays in that tomb? Well, it comes on the third day. You see, Christ resurrects. He comes back to life. 
He comes from death to life. Just as this passage describes, right, bones that are dead coming to life, Christ comes to life. This is the historical reality, that our Savior was dead, but he now lives. So how do I have hope? How can I tell you that he can do that for you? Because he has already done it for Christ. And that stands as a testament for all eternity that God has the power to do that which he said he will do. In fact, this is what God says will happen in verse 14 of chapter 37. Look at Ezekiel 37 verse 14. Look at what he says. He says, when you see this happen, O Israel, when you see death brought to life, see what you will, will know. He says, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in my own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, and that I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. You see, Jesus' death and resurrection testifies exactly what this passage says it will, that God will do what he says he will do, and that the Lord has spoken, and so it will be. And Christ's resurrection is a joy for us because we see in Christ the fulfillment of all that God has been seeking to accomplish. Because Christ has resurrected from the dead, we know that he will heal us. Because Christ has resurrected from the dead, we know that his spirit will empower us. Because Christ has resurrected from the dead, we know that he will make us a new creation because he has already done that for Christ. You see, the victory is assured. There is no question left unanswered. There is no hope left to be fulfilled. Everything is complete when Christ resurrects. And so we hope triumphantly. There's no question to our hope. You see, we stand knowing that even as we've begun to be made a new creation, even as our bones have begun to be knit back together and breath has begun to be spoken in us, there's a greater day yet to come where we be given our new resurrected bodies and we will enjoy the presence of our God in the land that he has prepared for us for all eternity. And the reason we know that hope is true and that is coming is because Christ resurrected. You see, Christ's resurrection proves that the Lord is faithful. There is no challenge too great for him. There is no person too far from him. And so as we approach the resurrection day, as we, as we think about the fact that Jesus really did live and really did die and really did rise again, we're really in one of two places. You see, we're either dry bones in the bottom of that valley, without a hope in the world, with no power in us, no life in us, no breath in us, wasting away, waiting for one strong gust of wind to turn us into ashes finally. Or, or, we are the vast army knit together by our Lord with the breath of God in us, waiting to be sent out and commissioned by God. Those are really the only two places in this story for us to be. And so for those of us who are standing as people in the army of God, for those of us that have been made a new creation, we celebrate today. 
not as dry bones, but as living creatures. We celebrate not as people without hope, but as people whose hope is certain. For those in Christ, our hope rests secure. Everything we stand on is firm, because he has risen. But for some of us, that's not us this morning. For some of us, if we were being honest with ourselves and honest with the people around us, we would realize that we are the dry bones in the bottom of that valley. There is no hope within us. There is no life within us. We are ready to waste away. We are ready to spend all eternity not moving. Well, I have hope for you this morning. You can be brought from death to life because the Lord has spoken. The Lord has done. He has sent Christ to die for you. Your sins have been paid for. The cross of Christ is sufficient. How do I know that? Because Christ rose again three days later, declaring that his sacrifice was sufficient. And so this morning, you can be brought from death to life. God is declaring, he is prophesying, he is saying, I'm bringing you from death to life. Turn today and trust in Christ. There is a call for you to live today. And that call was given 2,000 years ago when Christ rose from the dead. And it echoes forth for all of eternity. So turn from your sin today. Turn from your dry bones today. Turn from death today and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. There is no other word. There is no other prophecy. There is no other hope for you than the completed work of Jesus Christ. And the good news is he will work today. You see, God has worked all human history so that salvation will be through Christ. He has brought you here today to hear that salvation is Christ alone. So do not leave today without trusting in Christ for salvation. Put your hope and trust in Christ for salvation. Receive the breath that only he can breathe. He is ready to make us into a vast army. He's making us into a vast army. And realize what this means for those of us in Christ. For those of us who are in Jesus, we've been made into an army. And in that time period, and even today, you don't make an army to sit around. You make an army for a purpose, and that purpose is to go and conquer. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we've been made a new life for a purpose. And that is to go and declare that the conqueror is coming. And we are soldiers of his army. And so we go and declare the only thing that can conquer all things, the only name which is over every name, and the only person who has all things in authority to him, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. And so we go here to Enid, we go to Oklahoma, we go to the United States, we go to the ends of the world declaring that we serve the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the name given by which man can be saved, and that is the name Jesus Christ. And he rose 2,000 years ago declaring that death has no hold on us. He rose 2,000 years ago declaring that we are new creatures who have breath given to us by our God and who now go as his conquering army. And so let us hope, either for the first time, for the thousandth time, 
for the millionth time in Christ alone for our salvation today. Let us put our hope in him. And so at this time, as the worship team comes, we're going to enter a time of invitation. Let me explain to you why we enter a time of invitation. Because there is a call. There is good news that has gone out. And the good news is this, that you can be saved in Christ. And what we see in Scripture is when the call is given, there's a call to respond. And the call, the response to this, is to turn from yourself, to repent of your sins, and to trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. The call is to live in obedience to him by following him in believers' baptism. The call is to be obedient to him by being a part of a local church. The call is to respond to the word of God. When God told Ezekiel to prophesy, Ezekiel spoke just what the Lord promised him to speak. And what happened? These bones responded. When the Lord speaks, people respond. So how is the Lord calling you to respond this morning? Maybe you don't know. You just know the Lord is calling you to respond. And so as we enter this time of invitation, there's going to be... um, a couple people at the table in the back. I'll be down here in the front. We'd love to talk with you about how the Lord is calling you to respond. Maybe in faith for the first time, maybe through baptism, maybe through joining our church, or maybe simply by saying, Lord, I will go to where you will send me. But whenever the Lord speaks, we are called to respond. And so let us respond to the life-giving God, the God that has brought us from dry bones to living beings with breath given by him. Let us stand and sing together.